I'm Tabby Smiley. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. We are glad about it, and we're delighted to have you in with us in our third and final hour today on this Monday. In this hour, a conversation about the art of code switching. Is code switching a form of assimilation or a necessary survival strategy in a world where increasingly our differences can create barriers to connection? And what happens uh, when keeping it real goes wrong? We'll be joined in this hour uh, by an expert in these matters, Harold Wallace III, uh, who is the Director of Office of Diversity and Inclusion at Wichita State University. I am pleased to welcome Harold Wallace III to this program. Brother Harold, how are you today, sir? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Doing the best I can. Good to have you on. Glad we got an hour. A lot to talk about. Um, let, let me start with this. Um, I used the phrase a moment ago um, that we were going to talk in this hour about the art of code switching. Did I did I overstate that? <laughs> is, is code switching really an art? It is definitely an art. Um, it is something that is... Uh, uh, I think uh, a form of a defense mechanism um, mm-hmm. that we have learned, and those who ha- do a great job of of honing in on that skill um, can sometimes learn how to play chess um, and not checkers when it comes to uh, working our way up through corporate America. Mm. When you when you call code switching a defense mechanism, unpack that for me. We got time. <laughs> um, I say a defense mechanism because we. Uh, uh, as people of color are going to do everything that we need to do to make sure that we can provide for our family um, and sometimes uh, talk our way out of situations that can become dangerous just because of the color of our skin. Um, and so I think I, I call it a defense mechanism because it is something that is naturally ingrained in us that we have learned that we need to do and able to move forward um, and sometimes to not move back. Mm. Um, du Bois, as you well know, talked about what he called double consciousness. Uh, what do we know about the history, uh, to the extent we do uh, uh, know a bit about the history of code switching? What, what's what's the what's the backstory on code switching? Well, uh, as far as the the, the backstory, um, I, I think that for me it was important uh, for me to look a little bit further into it because I myself was struggling with how I felt at the end of each day. Um, and I, it made me kind of look forward into, uh, look a little bit back into the past of uh, some of the ancestors that truly worked super hard. And I understand um, that is important for us to do our part to be conscious of the work that has been done for us um, and also doing my part now to, uh, I'm code switching now so that our future does not have to. Mm. Um, and so as I matriculate and work my way up through um, higher education, I'm hoping to be able to hire people who look different, who act different, who talk different. Um, but I have to be conscious of where we are right now in our current time um, and also how far we've come from where we were. And so it's important. That's why I always t- I touch base with history, just to be able to um, make sure that I am always uh, conscious of how stressful it may be for me, but how hard I know they really worked before me. Um, and so never taking it for granted. Mm. When you say that you are code, as a powerful phrase, it, it jumped out at me. When you say you are code switching now so that young folk in the future will not have to. Uh, one, that's a, that's that's a, it, that's it's a it's a powerful statement. But two, it's a, it's a tall order um, that you are code switching now so that others in the future will not have to. Uh, let me ask a few questions in that regard. Number one. Do you ever think there'll be a time in this country where people who look like you and me will not have to code switch? you actually believe that? Um, I can't say that I do. Um, I think that, uh, uh, unfortunately, history does repeat itself. 
um, and we find ourselves in spaces when things are looking good, um, and they can we can take three steps forward and then take seven steps back. And so I think it's always important to be conscious of it, and um, I'm doing my best to make sure that my children um, don't have to deal with it as much, mm-hmm. um, just like I'm not dealing with it as much as the, my ancestors before me. And so I, I don't think that it's a uh, will ever be in that world because I think it's natural. Um, sadly, it's natural for human beings to think divisively, um, and we have to be conscious of that, and that's what helps us not think like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that uh, I would love to believe that this world would just be a lovely, beautiful place. Um, but I have to to live in the world that I do now um, because I have to make sure that I'm doing my best with the current status quo um, so that I can make the status quo better for my children. Yeah. And yet and yet I'm trying to follow you. Um, and yet you expressed a hope that uh, that one day they will not have to. So you're doing it today, co-switching today so that they hopefully one day will not have to. And that's why I've, I've, I ask whether you think that that they will ever inhabit a world, that they will ever live in a world where they won't have to do that. I think that, uh, to be honest with you, if it's not code switching, it'll be something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the goal is to make their battle a little bit easier than the, the battle that I have now, just yeah. like my battle was easier than my ancestors before me. Mm-hmm. Um, so in real time, uh, and again, I, I suspect if I asked this question of 100 black folk, I'd get 100 different answers. So let me just ask you, since I'm talking to you, Harold Wallace III, uh, <laughs> when, when, you, uh, when you unapologetically engage in code switching, what tends to be typically the purpose of that code switching for you? Uh, when I uh, engage in code switching, it is normally to, uh, <laughs> I like to call myself being fluid like water and mm-hmm. being able to get into spaces that I am not always able to get into. Um, I'm extremely conscious of uh, my stature. I'm extremely conscious of my, uh, I'm six one. I'm dark-skinned, I'm bald with a beard. Um, and that, um, in media, has been seen as a very dangerous person. Um, and I'm, I'm a bigger guy as well. And so those things uh, I'm extremely conscious of, and I'm, I use that to my advantage to make sure that I fully understand the monster that I'm up against, no matter what that monster may be. And so um, if I am talking to a supervisor of mine and I need something from them, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that they know how serious I am about getting it, but also playing the cards correctly to make sure that that they feel um, like it's mutually beneficial. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that is what the, the, the when I truly engage in it, it's to one um, protect uh, the bag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to make sure I can protect always the bag, protect the bag. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but also get into a space where um, I can be, play chess enough to where they feel after that meeting is over that they got something out of it just as well. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that's that's kind of the big thing for me. And that's that's how I use it um, and why I use it. No, I am mad at you for, for uh, protecting the bad. You got to you got to make them run you your coins by any means necessary, as Malcolm would say. So I am mad about protecting the bad. I, I guess the question for me and oh, look at my clock. Let me just do this and uh, tee this up. We'll, we'll come to this in just a moment. Um, the question I want to ask when we come forward is uh, what 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 impact you think it has on the psyche? What impact you think it has on the psyche of black folk that we have to code switch, that we have to make folk feel comfortable, 
that we have to do X, Y, or Z to protect the bag, to make them uh, run us our coins, to, to, to get their support on this project or, or their buy-in on that project. What, what impact do you think it has on the psyche of a people who are constantly trying to, you know, jump rope or, 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 or double dutch, get in where they fit in, uh, in ways that make other folk comfortable to achieve our desired end and aim. We'll start with that and go from there when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Our guest at this hour is Wichita State's Harold Wallace III, and we are talking about code switching and whether or not it is these days a form of assimilation or a necessary survival strategy in a world where increasingly our differences can create barriers uh, to connection. We'll, 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 we'll interrogate that specific question in a moment here, whether or not it's a form of assimilation or whether or not it is a necessary survival strategy. I think you can probably already assume from what Harold Wallace III has said already that his answer, probably already assume what his answer to that question is going to be. But we'll ask it, we'll, we'll ask it anyway when we move forward here. What I want to come to right quick, though, is what I, what I said a moment ago is, uh, Harold, what you think it does to the psyche of a people who are always sort of, you know, you know, jumping rope, as it were, um, trying to clear hurdles, as it were, pick your metaphor, um, and engaged in code switching for a desired end and aim. That's got to have over a period of time, uh, over decades and centuries, an impact on the psyche of those people. What do you think? Um, I definitely do agree. Um, I think that that is the... uh the foundation of why I started looking more into it, mm-hmm. um, because it was affecting my psyche, uh, at the end of, uh, my work day, um, even going to predominantly white institution, um, being from Los Angeles, California and, uh, making my way to the state of Kansas to, uh, play college football and, in these, uh, very small towns. Um, and then moving to Wichita state and being, um, uh, being happy that it was, there were white people there, but they were much more used to being around people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was much different than my time in this smaller town. And so uh, I think that once I got myself into the workplace and I understood exactly how important it was um, to, to, to key key sometimes at these, these jokes, these corny jokes mm-hmm. uh, from your superiors to uh, make people, other people feel comfortable. Um, but I also think that, that us as, as African-Americans, we are resilient people. Um, and this is, uh, you, you talk about jumping over hurdles, mm-hmm. uh, but we do this for fun. You know, this is who this is, is in our blood. Um, it is passed down through us from our ancestors. And so for me, um, I had to do my very best to gain, um, be self-aware of it, um, and, and not allow it to affect me in a negative way. So similar to how people think of, uh, Mondays, um, someone might be like, I, I, I truly am not ready for Monday. Um, but then you have your other person that can flip it, um, and can be like, I'm ready to tackle this Monday. Mm-hmm. I think that that's how we are as, as African Americans. We understand that, um, there are certain things that are going to be in our way. Um, and some of us are excited and ready to, to tackle it. Um, and there are others who allow it to affect them. And so me, I was on that other side, the latter side. Um, at first, at the very beginning of my uh, career, because um, every day I was going home and I was just like, man, I feel like I was being fake. I feel like I was laughing a little too hard or I was trying to make people feel comfortable. I was smiling more than I normally would because I didn't want people to think that I was mad or I didn't think that their comments were uh, were funny. Um, 
And so I got to the end of the day, and I noticed that I need to learn how to flip it. As long as I'm aware of it, then it's not a silly assimilation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm learning how to use it as as chess, um, to play chess. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that that is uh, that's how I use. It. T- tell me more about you've been so you've been so. Um, um... Uh, willing to be transparent about this, you referenced it a couple of times. I want to, I want to just press a little, or press a little more here, if I can. Um, when you were talking a moment ago, I was thinking of uh, of Malcolm X, who said more than once, and others have uh, uh, used this uh, frame as well, uh, that too often we find ourselves laughing at stuff that ain't funny and scratching places where it don't itch. Right? That's what that's the uh, the journey that many of us are on, uh, and we have to learn how to navigate that journey and how not to feel. Uh, beholden to that sort of behavior again, laughing at stuff that ain't funny and scratching at things that don't even itch us. Um, and I, I, I listened a moment ago when you were talking about these days that you were having, and how you were not feeling good about yourself at the end of these days. You were wrestling with, um, you know, what that day uh, had been for you. Tell me more about uh, about why those days were so debilitating for you. Um, I think that and, and the, the crazy thing is that was before uh, children had come into play. That's before I was married. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I knew was is that I had worked extremely hard to uh, finish my bachelor's. Um, that is something that I, I was, I'm a first-generation college student. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that there were a lot of pressures that were on me that people didn't even know that they were putting on me. Um, but to be the first in my family, even with an older sister that was 10 years older than me and an a older brother that's eight years older than me, um, I was still the first to go this route. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, it was extremely important to to uh, not only get the bag, um, but to be that bag holder for my family. And so that was a, an, an extra pressure um, and why I, I came home every day like, man, is this how I have to get money. Mm-hmm. I've went to school for these years. I've worked super hard. Um, and I'm coming home feeling not like myself. Is this what I need to do for the rest of my life? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where that's, that's how it was. It was crippling to me sometimes when I had to think about like, can I play this game, uh, for the rest of my life? Um, uh, but like I said, I've, I've always, I come from a, a poverty stricken background, um, hard, <laughs> Hardcore, Inglewood, mm-hmm. uh, California, um, and I used to myself uh, self-medicate by. Uh, I, I know you remember those commercials of the uh, children over in Africa, mm-hmm. um, and how they wanted you to give money to to help these children in Africa. And those vivid pictures um, is what used to help me keep going because I would always say, "Hey, I know it's pretty. I know I'm dealing dealing with it." Um, lights may not be on, we may be struggling to eat, but I'm not in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how, um, I think of it now, as far as the, the struggle that I'm dealing with is nowhere in comparison to the struggle that was before me. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, it, it definitely was very tough to come home every day and just think, man, when I do have a wife and kids, um, I'm going to have to continuously play this game, um, to get this money to take care of them. And so, uh, that was the hardest part. Um, yeah. But then once I had an opportunity to really hone in on how good I was um, at doing it and how I used it as an art, um, then I no longer felt like I was assimilating. I learned that I was playing the game. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of playing the game, I, I am curious as to the ways in which, uh, I want to phrase this the right way, the, 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 the ways in which you felt a 
greater pressure, if I can put it that way, uh, a greater pressure to become artful at code switching because you were, in fact, a black athlete. You were a person, as you said earlier, of a certain size, a certain height, a certain weight, a certain skin tone, uh, a certain phenotype. Uh, because you, you have this particular look uh, that can, in fact, be menacing or intimidating, pick your word, to folk who don't look like you, don't look like us, um, I'm, I'm wondering, again, whether or not there was a greater level of pressure you felt to become artful at code switching because of all of that, because of that dynamic. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. Yes, that is um, that is exactly why um, I did the TED talk on it, um, because I wanted to get out there and I wanted people to see um, how I looked. Uh, my name alone can get me indoors. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a very, uh, I guess, Americanized name that's passed down from my grandfather and my father. Harold um, Wallace III. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know if that's a white brother. You don't know if that's a black brother. You don't know what color he is. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I get in the door, um, I often catch those looks like, oh, okay. You know, and so then it's up to me to um, truly wow them. Um, but I find myself uh, doing everything in my power because of my stature and my size and um, my race, my, my uh, melanin. Um, trying to make sure that people feel comfortable around me. Mm-hmm. And um, it does, it does, it can be exhausting, um, but it's also part of the reason why I work in diversity and inclusion spaces. Um, one, because 90% of my day is around um, working with students, working with people of color, working with people from different cultural backgrounds. Um, and I find myself uh, uh, really happy to be in this space because I get to be me my authentic self, um, ninety <laughs> percent of my day. Mm-hmm. Um, when I go to those meetings, uh, I may be around people who don't look like me, and I play chess during those meetings so that I can get things and resources that will benefit the students that I'm serving. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's what I mean by playing chess: um, is doing what I need to do to make sure I take care of my family, but also doing what I need to do to um, expand more resources for the students that I serve. I hear you, chestnut checkers. I hear you loud and clear, chestnut checkers. Um, <laughs> as you as you were talking, I, I I'm not naive in asking this question, uh, Harold Wallace the Third, but I am. I'm, I'm just I'm just wrestling with this notion of what responsibility I have. Put another way, why is it my responsibility mm-hmm. um, um, to make others feel comfortable around me? Uh, I, I'm not sure that I, I, I've, I've arrived at a conclusion yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm noodling on that. I'm, I'm marinating on that. This notion of why it is we feel this penchant. Um, and I think many of us feel that way, but certainly as black men, oftentimes, again, and black men who look the way you look, that we, we feel this, 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 this penchant to, to be responsible for making other folk feel comfortable around us. Is that, is that really our job? Is that our assignment? Is that, is that our mandate? It really should not be, yeah. um, which is which is why I'm in spaces like I'm in now in mm-hmm. diversity and inclusion. Um, and as you see, that in itself is uh, is uh, uh, being attacked right now um, mm-hmm. by a couple of our states in this uh, country that we live in. Um, I, I don't think that it's a responsibility that we should have. Uh, but realistically, um, I am not interested in being a uh, martyr. Um, for a cause that I don't think 
can truly um I don't know for sure if we can get to that space where I can 100% truly and authentically be myself um and not affect the people that are behind me. Mm. And so um that is uh, that's what I I'm comfortable with being a martyr by playing this game so that I can get up there so then I can uh you know even wearing wearing earrings to uh uh, uh to an interview. Mm-hmm. Something as small as that um with something that is like you know from some of my uh, older colleagues that are of color, they I have I have both my ears pierced, mm-hmm. um, and that is a, a generational thing. That's a cultural thing from from hip hop culture and uh, L A culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I used to take those earrings out of every single time I interviewed um, because I was doing my part to just make sure that I was paying homage to those in front of me who were saying hey uh, or before me that were like hey, you got to play the game. You got to you got to you got to be professional. Um, and so I'm doing everything in not, that I can to keep moving up so that I can change what professionalism looks like. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that. Go ahead. No, it's funny that you mentioned earrings. I was I was uh, reading something last night uh, about Kwame Kilpatrick. I, I know Kwame will. Kwame Kilpatrick, most of you know, was the mayor of Detroit, um, got himself um, in the situation and lost that mayority uh, and ended up in prison for a while. Donald Trump eventually um, um, uh, uh, got him out. Uh, he didn't pardon him, but he uh, he gave him clemency, and he got out of prison. And so now he's doing you know what he's doing. Uh, but I I knew Kwame uh, back then. St- still know Kwame, but Kwame as mayor of Detroit used to wear earrings, and I used to always look mm-hmm. at Kwame and say, you know, I-, I wonder the impact that that earring has when, as the mayor of the city of Detroit, he walks in meetings with people. Uh, of all races, colors, creeds, ethnicities, etc., and they see the mayor. And again, Kwame played football at FAMU, so Kwame's you know taller than you, uh, maybe even mm-hmm. bigger than you. Kwame's a big dude, man, big dude. Uh, and I used to often wonder what that earring said to people when they when he walked into this particular room or to give a speech as the mayor of the city of Detroit. So to hear you sort of opine on that is fascinating for me. A great deal more to talk about. Um, I'm learning more about the backstory of one. Harold Wallace III, and why he is now in spaces of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. He mentioned the attacks uh, on that. We'll talk about that a little bit later in this conversation. But this notion of code switching is the broader theme in this conversation, and whether or not it's a form of assimilation or necessary survival strategy, you're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. Indeed, our guest in this hour is Harold Wallace III. We are talking about code switching, the art of code switching, and whether or not it is a form of assimilation or a necessary survival strategy in a world uh, where too often and increasingly our differences can create barriers to connection. And uh, I'm pleased to have Harold on in this hour. Um, Harold, let me just ask that question directly. We, we've, I've teed it up two or three times, and you've, you've, we've talked around it but not about it. And that is whether or not you think code switching is, in fact, a form of assimilation or is it a survival strategy these days? Um, I I definitely believe that it is a survival strategy. Um, I think that um, those that uh, find themselves engaging in it and enjoying it um, (laughs) and not having a grasp on the art of it, I think that those are the, the folks that kind of struggle with it being assimilation. And so... Um, I think that that was some of the struggle that I dealt with, mm-hmm. um, just my background and, and, and coming up from where I came from um, and how I found myself kind of uh, speaking a certain way, carrying myself a certain way um, in, in different uh, rooms. I, I think that uh, 
I wanted to do my very best to get a great grasp on it um, because I knew that that was going to be a part of my future, working mm-hmm. in higher education. Um, there is a, a bunch of different layers that comes with working in college and universities. You have a lot of people that, that like to flex their um, uh, academia and flex their degrees, so on and so forth. And so um, you have so many different layers. And so I knew for a fact that it was going to be important for me um, to learn how to use it as a mm-hmm. tool. Um, and I, I, I wouldn't say a weapon, but a yeah. tool um, to make sure that I, I did my very best to to uh, advance. Yeah, I'm glad you, I'm glad so, you yeah. I'm glad you made that distinction between tool and weapon. I was just about to ask that question, so I, I can I can uh, move beyond that because move past that I should say <laughs> uh, move past because you've already you've already addressed that. So you said a moment ago, and you said it actually a couple of times in this conversation, and I want to interrogate this right quick, and that is this notion of enjoying code switching. Um, you've said that you enjoy it. Uh, and you again, you've teed that up a couple of times. What is there to enjoy about code switching? Um, so I use the, I use the word enjoy because I think of um, uh, during my time in undergrad, I worked for a particular shoe store. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at that shoe store, um, I learned from a manager um, a specific tactic to help uh, with sales. Mm-hmm. Um, and using that tactic, um, it, I use it as a tool. Um, but what it did was it broke down um, uh, people's natural defensive nature when mm. they come into a place where they're expected to spend money. Right. Um, and so at this particular shoe store, um, he would basically say the first 45 seconds to a minute and a half that you see someone um, engage with them about everything else other than shoes. Mm. Um, and by doing that, you've now broken down the defenses and they don't think that you're just simply trying to sell to them. <laughs> um, they're interested in getting to know you a little bit more then they want to invest in you. Mm. Um, and so now they're much more willing to say, man, yeah, let me, let me see these in a size so-and-so. Um, and then when you come out and you show them that size, um, I was great at bringing that one shoe, but he was like, Hey, I need you to do better at bringing some of our other shoes with them. And so because of those type of tactics, um, I enjoyed that. Like I enjoyed seeing my numbers go up, but I also enjoyed making sure that that person walked out and had an enjoyable experience, even if they bought shoes or not. Mm. Um, and so that is kind of how I, I think of this code switching. <clears throat> um, I enjoy the art. Mm. I enjoy knowing that I have a great grasp at it um, and knowing when to use it, when not to use it, um, and knowing that I'm hoping to do my best so that people after me don't have to use it at all. Yeah. And so um, that's what I mean by, by enjoying it. Like yeah. Once you get a great grasp on an art, um, now you can play around with it. Now you can manipulate it how you want it to. Um, you can use it in different forms um, and in different spaces um, to get what you need mm-hmm. to survive. No, I I like that story about the, about, I was thinking of Ed Bundy when you were talking about selling shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I went straight to I went, I went straight to married with children and Ed Bundy selling them shoes, man. But but, um, but that was a great. Yeah, somebody should told Ed Bundy that, right? But uh, but I I love I love the story though, and that that was great advice that your that your that your boss gave you about how to about essentially how to how to connect with people. So let me let me ask this question. Um, since you since you've gotten good. At this code switching thing uh, over the years, uh, and you've worked you've worked at it deliberately and unapologetically. What have you learned about? I'm talking now just about conversation. Um, since you would, mm-hmm. you did it selling shoes, and you do it now with what you do it uh, with uh, diversity and inclusion. Um, what have you learned as a black man? I'm, spe- I'm asking this question specifically as a black man. What have you learned 
what are your takeaways? What advice would you offer other young brothers, other young sisters about how to connect with white folk in an initial conversation? And I'm asking that question broadly because I want to give you as much palette as you need to, to paint an illustration for me. So what have you learned, you know, just broadly speaking, about how to connect when they see you and they may have a certain thought, they may have a certain idea, you on the elevator, white woman grabs her bag. You know, you, we've all been in those situations, right? So what have you learned mm-hmm. in conversation off the bat, off the break, about how to connect with white folk? Um, I think that uh, a big thing that I've picked up on is implicit bias. Mm-hmm. Um, and being extremely conscious of implicit bias and, and um, uh, doing my very best to show grace in that area mm-hmm. um, and not instantly be like, oh, this person's racist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even when I went to school at Pittsburgh State University, which is in Pittsburgh, Kansas, mm-hmm. uh, which is in the southeast corner of, of Kansas, um, I was in the construction engineering program um, there. And all of the guys that walked into my class had on these boots different kind of boots, certain type of jeans, um, uh, a hat, a trucker hat. Like, they almost looked the same. <laughs> um, but that was a part of the culture that they came from. Right. Uh, but I understood that um, me, coming from the background that I had, I had just enough money to really take care of those classes, but I couldn't always afford books. And so sometimes I would struggle the first couple weeks of class. Um, but when they had group projects, um, you can t- you, when they were uh, involuntary, when you got to just pick your own group, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I will always notice that I was like the last person um, and I would just kind of get attached to a group. Uh, but then I would use that as an opportunity to um, introduce myself and get to know folks. And then that's when those very candid conversations would come out. Maybe two days into working with them, they'd be like, hey, man, you're, you're, you're really cool. Like we, we just really didn't know how to approach you or how to, you know, we only have one black cat, one black uh, family in our town or mm-hmm. one black student that went to our high school. Um, and so that's when I really st- like understood that we can't just instantly say, Hey, this is racism. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to be, do our part to make sure that we learn people. Um, but also understanding yourselves and, and, and understanding he- humankind as a whole. Um, and how, yes, we, we come out of the room and we are ready to love. Uh, but within moments we learn us versus them. Mm-hmm. Um, we learn my, my mother is different than my father. We learn, uh, people in my household are different than those that are outside of my household. And so it's important for us to be conscious of that. And so, yes, I've been in multiple, um, situations when, um, and I bring it up in the Ted talk where I am the, the big black male that's on the elevator and I see a, a smaller white woman, um, come, I have to be conscious of the fact that not only am I just a black man, but I'm a man, period, mm-hmm. um, in that space. And so I'm going to do my part to make that woman feel as comfortable as possible. Um, I'm going to ask her what floor she'd like to go to and, and, and hold the door for her. Um, and so those little small actions don't hurt me that much, um, but it can totally change her perspective on on a, what a big black man acts like yeah. <laughs> um, because of the picture that's being painted by media. Nope. And so... Um, yeah, I, I think that I, I want to keep doing my, my part to um, enjoy the art, teach the art, um, and understand. And I, I do a lot of conferences where I talk to young students about um, I'd rather them get that grasp and learn how to play chess way earlier than me um, because I know what burnout looks like yeah. um, and how so many people go to school for these four to six years, finish, and uh, get this first job and notice that they hate it. Um, and so... Uh, but if you understand how to how to how to use um, all of the experience that you got in those four to six years, and not just your major, 
um, you can still do great things and you can you can navigate and you can pivot when you need to. Talking about the art of code switching uh, in this hour with our guest, Harris Harold Wallace III, uh, who's the director of the Office of Diversity and Inclusion at Wichita State. I want to ask a couple questions about that when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Harold Wallace III with a background like uh, the one you've uh, detailed for us in this hour coming out of Inglewood. Uh, with a whole bunch of Negroes, <laughs> and then going to Kansas, <laughs> where you were the only Negro. <laughs> how, how does one how does one end up in DE and I? Um, uh, you know what? I actually have to pay a hundred percent respect to a, a particular woman of color. Um, she was a, a Latinx woman, right? Um, who was the first person that saw. Uh, I was the president of my fraternity, I'm Cap Alpha Psi. Um, yo yo, I was uh, yo yo. Yeah, <laughs> um, I was uh, president of our Black Student Association. Uh, I was doing all of this great program. I was great at at um, at speaking at all of these engagements. Um, and she was the first person that was like, "Hey, how I, I love that you're doing all of that, but how's it great?" Mm. Um, and she asked me about my uh, a test that was coming up and if I studied for it. Um, when I told her I did, when I really didn't. And I ended up getting a, a C on that test. Um, and she said, you're not a C student. Did you really study? And I kept it honest with her. And um, uh, she then made me um, study in her <laughs> her office for 45 minutes um, to truly uh, make sure that she could uh, make me accountable um, for the studying. But that, to me, was her showing that she was emotionally invested in my uh, academics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from then on, um, she was, that was over the office of multicultural affairs at that time. Um, and I ended up going to my master's program that she went to, to kind of pay homage for her. Um, and they, they don't have a, a, a bachelor's degree in higher education because most of the people, um, don't find out that they love higher education until they're about to graduate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they have mm-hmm. a bunch of master's programs in higher ed, mm-hmm. um, because they noticed that that's, uh, that's kind of how it works. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of how I got into that. I, I found myself loving and enjoying learning about different cultures. Um, I had a class in uh, freshman year of high school called World History, where we learned about different religions, um, learned about different uh, ethnic backgrounds, um, and I found myself enjoying enjoying that. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I'm from Inglewood, and we grew up mostly black and brown. Sure. Um, and so I, I, I spoke Spanish <laughs> pretty fluently between the ages of eight and 13. Um, uh, but, uh, engaging with those other spaces, you know, even noticing and not taking full advantage of how big and vast, um, Los Angeles culture is, mm-hmm. um, staying in my little corner of Inglewood and, and, and even venturing over to Compton. Uh, I didn't even know about little Italy and, and, and little, uh, Puerto Rico and, so on and so forth, so on and mm-hmm. so forth. And so um, DEI became something that um, I noticed that I could actually study. Um, you're telling me that I can actually work in an industry where I learn about these other cultures um, and do my very best to engage with these other cultures. And so, um, yeah, I fell in love with the work. Um, but more than anything, the biggest thing that I noticed was that when I uh, I got into higher education because I wanted to be the person that I needed when I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, I was mm-hmm. I was uh, given to someone as a, a mentee um, who they thought it would be a great idea, and this was a gentleman who shared the same melanin, yeah. um, but not the same cultural experience. He was a Nigerian man. Um, there was a slight language barrier between us, 
um, and there was zero connection. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I did get from him um, was that he was the first person that asked me, um, hey, you're about to finish your bachelor's. Are you getting your master's? Um, and I said, no, I'm just happy to be making it this far. Um, and he said, why not? Um, and I did not have an answer. Um, and so for me, that meant um, I need to either figure out what that answer is or I need to go for it. Wow. Um, and so that's the very first push that kind of that, that kind of pushed me um, towards thinking deeper um, into my reasoning. And it's, so, yeah, it's, it's it's a powerful and arresting story. I'm, I'm still uh, I'm still processing that comment that you went into higher ed because you wanted to be the person that you needed um, when you were navigating your journey. Powerful, powerful. Our remaining moments with Harold Wallace III when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Let's unpack a little bit more with Tavis Smiley. The conversation continues right now. Right now. A little right bit now. more is all I got time for. Two quick minutes left here. I knew I liked Harold Wallace III when I found out he was a Kappa. I like him even more now. I did. <laughs> I really like him now. Now I know he's a Kappa brother. Uh, let me close with this, Harold. Um, you, we were talking earlier about DEI and how you got in this space, and you told a powerful, rich story. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, what do you make quickly of the attacks? Now we had a, we had a whole hour on this about a week or two ago on this program. Uh, these corporations now are abandoning this thing like a Negro running from the cops. <laughs> um, I, I think that. Um one, I think that it is is showing that the work is working. Um, I, I think that white supremacy is going to always uh, show its head uh, when it's most threatened. Um, and so I think that that is what's happening right now. They are noticing that the the majority um, is becoming those that are of color and mm-hmm. uh, that are different cultural backgrounds. Um, and so I think that that is a, a fear that is happening. So our, our particular... Uh, political parties are doing their part to uh, maintain control um, because they see it as a, a fear. And so um, I will take that as a small victory um, and do our very best to, to continue to push back. Yeah. Um, and I think that the generation that we serve is going to make sure that, that that happens as well. And in my last 45 seconds series, we've been talking throughout this hour about code switching um, and whether or not it's a form of assimilation or necessary survival strategy, um, where do you come down on the debate v- uh, vis-a-vis code switching of assimilation versus authenticity? Um, I think that uh, authenticity is uh, you being 100% you, and me being 100% me is doing everything in my power to protect my family and the bag. Um, and so that's how I think of it. I'm never going to feel like I'm being fake. Um, because I understand the importance of who we are as people of color um, and our resilience. And I am simply um, doing my part to uh, play the game as strategic as possible. Yeah, um, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing here to myself because <laughs> if I ain't got no other takeaway from this conversation, uh, Harold Walsh has informed me and reminded me, by all means, uh, I got to protect the bag. That, that, whatever you do, <laughs> protect the bag. I ain't mad at him. He's Harold Walsh III. He's the director of the Office of Diversity and Inclusion at Wichita State University in Kansas. Um, Harold Walsh III, good to have you on, man. All the best to you in, your, in, the, in the months and years to come with your work and your witness uh, to you and your family. I appreciate the time, my friend. All the best to you. Inglewood's own, Harold Walsh III. Thank you, sir. Thank you. 
Good to have you on. That's our show for today. Time to make room now for the KBLA Midday Money Chain. Up next, the Millionaire's Roundtable with Lynn Richardson to be followed by Ahead of the Crypto Curve with Najee Roberts. Old money, new money. Either way, we got you covered here on KBLA Talk 1580. Until tomorrow morning, Lord willing, thanks for tuning in. And as always...